Hi, my name is Andrea Jansen, and I am on a mission to help people be ambitious at work every single day. That means you're fulfilled, you're productive, and you're contributing to your company. I'm a certified executive coach that has an MBA, a diversity consultant, a Forbes contributor, a business leader, a wife, and a mother of three. This podcast is about tackling hard topics like the gender gap in the workplace. It's about asking the questions that everybody's thinking about, but doesn't want to say out loud. Each episode is like the sweet spot between motivation and tactical strategies to get you ahead. We get out of our comfort zones and we take action. This is where we learn, grow, and create opportunities. Welcome to the Ambition Theory Podcast. Do you feel like your workday is never ending? Do you feel like you're not being as productive as you should be? I was feeling this way last year, so I decided to sign up for a productivity course with Pat Sweet from the Engineering and Leadership blog. Full disclosure, I'm not an engineer, but I really enjoyed learning alongside people who had a different background than me. I loved the course so much that I invited Pat Sweet to be a guest speaker in the Ambition Theory community. Pat shared strategies on how to manage your to-do list every week, how to say no to things that aren't aligned with your goals, and how to overcome distractions. But before we dive into today's episodes, I want to tell you about the Ambition Theory community, which is our brand new monthly membership program that supports leaders all over the world to advance their leadership capacity. There's access to thought leaders like Pat Sweet, who you're going to hear in this episode, professional coaching, and the best part is that you'll be surrounded by people who are trying to achieve the same level of success that you are because you can't solve your company's toughest problems on your own. To join the community, go to ambitiontheory.ca. Hi, Pat. I am so excited that you are here on the very first live edition, virtual edition of the Ambition Theory podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, is going to be a lot of fun. This This is going to be great. So Pat Sweet is the host of the Engineering and Leadership podcast. Also, you write the Engineering and Leadership blog, and you are an expert on productivity. And I want to just for a minute, can you introduce yourself and just tell us about who you are and how you got interested in productivity? Yeah, really good questions. Um, So uh, like you said, uh, my name is Pat Sweet. I'm a professional engineer. Uh, work in the east coast of Canada in uh, the defense industry, and previous to that, I worked in uh, in rail as well. So uh, a lot of experience in big, kind of crazy, complex projects with with lots going on, lots of people, and and uh, I've also hosted the uh, the engineering leadership blog since 2012 and the podcast since 2015, and and that originally started as a way to kind of explore my own interest in becoming a good leader and eventually a manager, um, and. I, I guess I guess what what drove the whole productivity bit was a whole lot of struggle. Um, <laughs> early in my career, I realized that, you know, I, I learned an awful lot about working hard through school, um, but but the the pressure, the volume of work, the the change, the complexity, the ambiguity ratcheted up in a big way when I got out of school and into the real working world. Big shock, right? This is something I think I think everyone faces, uh, but it hit me like a ton of bricks. And and one of the things that I realized is is if I wanted to to climb the ranks and become one day a manager or a director or a VP, I I, I looked at these people who had those roles and thought, man, you've got ten times, a hundred times more work than I do as a as a junior engineer. 
how do you do that? There's only so many hours in a day. So that that's that's kind of what kind of tweaked my curiosity. So okay, there's got to be there has to be smarter ways of working, better ways of working. So so that's that's where it all got all, all got started. Okay, that's really cool because the the motivation for you wanting to become more product productive is actually bigger than you, right? It's about leading. It's about stepping up and guiding others. And I think that's really, really cool. So what was going on for you kind of internally? Cause that's kind of the external motivation, right? Like I want to get promoted. I want to get to that next level. Where was like, I want you to go below the surface a little bit. And where was that, that big overwhelm? Where was that big kind of like moment where you like, there's got to be a better way. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's a good question. I, I remember I remember pretty clearly there was a day um, at the office again, junior engineer, first job, and I went from one mentor's office to ask him a question to another mentor's office to ask her a question, and and these two folks had very very different approaches to their work. In office A. It wasn't uncommon for for this guy, who, by the way, brilliant man, very talented engineer, to fall asleep at his desk because he he basically lived at, at the office, right? He was there 16, 20 hours a day. I, I think he was married. I don't know how that worked, right? But he was he was always at work. Step over to office B, and here's here's this this vision of someone who has their act together, is progressing, is doing great work. Someone I respected, again, a brilliant engineer, who actually went home to spend her evenings with her dogs and her husband. I was like, I I, I know which of these two that I want, and I know that you both kind of have this this objective level of success in your careers because you're at the same level in the corporate ladder. I'm like, okay, so there is a way. And I knew, I knew as, as someone who's always been an achiever that I wanted to do really, really good work in my career. I wanted, I wanted the, the, the satisfaction for myself that I'd be doing really good work. But I, I knew I also wanted a life outside of work, right? Um, so, so this was, this was kind of, this stirred something in me that, okay, I've got this, this vision of what life can be like, what success in a within reasonable work confines looks like. This is what I want. And, and, and that's, and that's where it started. Okay. That's really interesting that you literally had two paths, right? You're like, I could be like this person who's falling asleep at their desk, or I could be like this person. But the interesting thing is how people are evaluated and literally who your first boss could be, right? Like some people, if they weren't exposed to that option B, maybe would think that falling asleep at your desk, being there all the time is something that you need to rise to leadership. And I think that's something that in our culture right now is actually still really present. This like bums and seats kind of hours logged into the computer mentality. And like, why do we still have it that way? Like we have all this productivity research that shows actually like bums and seats after your work, after you've been sitting in that computer chair for 14 hours, like the output that you're producing after that is not actually good. We know all that. We have the studies to back it up, but why do we still reinforce that in our culture? Do you think? Uh, that's a good question. And, and, and what I, what I keep coming back to is that there's, there's organizational inertia, Right, the way we work today, as and I'll, I'll use the term knowledge work. So anyone doing kind of office work, eight hours a day, nine to five, behind a computer, kind of thing, um, 
even even that schedule is a holdover from the industrial revolution where you came in you clocked eight hours and 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 what worked back then was that if you if you spent eight hours making widgets you had you had eight hours worth of widgets to show for your work thinking and decision making is not linear like that you know your eighth hour ninth hour tenth hour that day is not worth the same couple hours you spent that day the trouble is it takes a certain level of bravery to buck that trend and and not only that it takes an entire organization to kind of coalesce around an idea that there's a smarter way of working to 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 reject something as fundamental as um, paying X number of dollars for X number of hours is really tricky. And and I think I think there's wide recognition that it's not a bad system, but it's an easy system to implement. Right? If you are all of a sudden to say, okay, organization X. Um, we're going to start paying for output. Ooh, all of a sudden that's hard because you, A, as a manager, have to decide specifically what you want and when you want it, what right looks like, right? You have to really trust people to go off and do their own thing. And if it takes you two hours to, to get a job done and it takes, you know, Timmy in the corner office 20 hours, you pay them the same because, well, you got the same job done, right? This takes a certain level of, like I said, bravery and an additional level of effort and everyone has to agree to putting that in that kind of change is fundamental and if even if you get an organization to do that if your if your customers and suppliers don't work like that and they expect a bum to be in a seat eight hours a day that's that's a tough negotiation to, to have happen too so it, it's 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 really it's a structural systemic issue it's not i don't think for anyone kind of worth their salt <laughs> i think people know that just sitting around for eight hours is not the best approach, um, but it's an approach we understand. Right? Totally, and I think yeah. interesting, like I always feel this grind culture, even though I'm an entrepreneur and I can make my own hours, I still feel like our culture, especially in the entrepreneurship community, it's like put in the hours, mm -hmm. grow your business. Like you're not a committed entrepreneur if you're not working late. And right. even on the flip side, I think now it's a little bit different. People are more, um, open to flexible working, but most, when I would have corporate clients, some days I would say, you know, I'm going to stop my day on Tuesdays early at 2.45 so I could be there and pick up those kids at school at three every day on Tuesday. But I would feel this sense of like anxiety that, oh, what if a client needed me because they're working until 5, 6 p.m. or, you know, they try to schedule a meeting and I'm not available that day. That makes me a bad service provider, a bad whatever. And I think it's like, it's so much deeper than you deciding because even as an entrepreneur, it's really hard to implement that value-based output and measuring output that way. So what would need to happen to shift? Like, where's the shift need to happen? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And, and I think, I think, um, you know, it, it really, it really takes a level of vision, I think from, um, the executive level of a given organization to say, no, listen, we, we are going to start measuring outputs as opposed to inputs and really measuring our success based on what we do as opposed to what we put in, right? And, and that's not to say that, that hard work isn't part of the equation. No matter what you do, if, if you're doing something worth doing, it's, it's, going, to take, it's going to take a lot of work and that's okay. Um, but to get crystal clear on, on what you as an organization are trying to accomplish, to achieve, and by when, 
um, that has to start from the top. And, and it has to take, uh, it, it will inevitably take the form of, of someone kind of um, comfortable, comfortable bucking a trend, comfortable standing out and comfortable with the idea that it might fail. And, and that's hard. That's really hard. That's hard for anyone. Um, but I, I really do think it's going to take a combination of um, visionary leadership, um, as well as kind of a, a culture within a group that is comfortable doing things very differently. Now, that, that culture bit, I don't think is quite so hard because individuals would see the benefit immediately. You know, you've got to go pick up your kids at 245. Fine. That's, that's a-okay because you got your job done. Everyone's happy. You know, that's, that's win-win, right? It's what, what value are you providing to yourself or the rest of the world if you just sit in the chair for another hour and a half? You've already done the work, right? So, so at an individual level, I think, I think it's much easier. But, uh, is there any companies doing this right now? There is, and, and I, can't, I can't think of any good examples right off the top, but if you, um, if you Google um, results-only work environments, there is a small movement, um, and, and it's particularly prevalent in, in the software industry, where it's um, management of software and, and agile management, and, and we talked a little bit about that during, a, during the productivity course, Andrea, Agile kinds of lends itself to discrete packages of work. Say, we are going to accomplish this within the next two weeks, full stop. Whether it takes you 80 hours or 20 hours, doesn't really matter. We all, we all agree that this chunk of work is going to get done. Um, but it takes a lot of work to figure out what those chunks are going to be, to have everyone agree to it, everyone understand what done looks like. It's, it's a lot of work. Um, so talk, a bunch of things came out in that everyone has to fig, yeah. has to be on board with what done looks like everybody has to yeah. be on board with this idea like we're going to go all in to get this done and the prize is going to be great which I think would be really motivating for people right like going all in and having that stop and having that big reward it kind of works but I I also think it would weed out the the low performers right this methodology well yeah because because success only happens when when the team accomplishes what Oh, what it's set out to do and and an environment where people are really um, really geared towards accomplishing a certain thing get, it gets to be very uncomfortable to be that one person who who can't be relied on mm. right and, and so there, it actually rises a... the whole it's like the the water makes all the boats rise right because yeah, absolutely yeah okay that's really cool Okay, so I want to go back to that moment where you had mentor A and you had mentor B and you kind of had the choice to what kind of leader do I want to be, right? You were faced with that question. What was the first thing you did to be more like that mentor, that leader that had the balance, was focused on being more productive and doing the right work? Yeah, I, I guess the, the simplest thing, the first thing is to ask questions. And, and I remember saying, like, Shauna, you go home at five how do you do that? Like I, I, you know, I look at my to-do list and I could see her to-do list on the whiteboard. How do you get through all that? And, and really through being, being a keen observer and keeping a notebook handy and, and following her to meetings and seeing how she interacts with her staff, her clients. Um, one of the things that, that I picked up on really quick was how comfortable she was, she was with saying no, right? This is not something I can accommodate now. I can do it next week, for example. That's not a hard no. That's a, I can help you, but not right at this moment, right? Or, you know, that's really not 
my uh, specialty. Let me let me find you someone who would be really good at that. And how did right? that affect her relationship in the company as you were observing her and her leadership and her influence? This ability yeah, to say I, no. I, I, I think I think it did. Uh, it struck some people as a little bit odd, right? And this was a consulting company, right? So uh, often there's 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 this mentality that the customer is always right. You know, the customer asks you to jump, you you say how high. But I think by and large, people respected her approach, both both within the organization and in in her her client organizations as well, because what she built up was an understanding was that if she committed to something, it was real. And she would deliver on, uh, on, on what she committed to. Um, and if something was, you know, out of line or out of scope or outside of her, her wheelhouse, it wasn't about, it wasn't about saying just no, she always had this mentality where it was like, she would help you to achieve what it was you were looking to achieve she might just not be the best answer today, right? So there was that mentality is I'm here to help you, but that doesn't mean I'm here to do absolutely everything you ask me to do personally when you ask me to, when you ask for it to be done. Um, so that's and, actually and another it, leadership skill, right? Empowering yeah. others, right? By saying no and having that attitude, it's not that, yeah, I can do it, but you know, I'm going to empower you to do it. I think that it's a, it's another leadership skill that this person had. And you're so fortunate to have this person to look up to so early in your career, it sounds like they taught you a lot of things. Well, I, I lucked out in that my my first job out of school was um, uh, I was enrolled in a, a year long um, leadership de development program at this consulting company. It was the second year that it had run, so this was an opportunity for the partners in the company to identify uh, strong kind of middle of the pack leaders within the company and give them opportunities to develop junior leaders. Right. So, so my cohort was kind of entrusted to, to the best middle managers in the company. Right. So without really appreciating it at the time, I was reporting to the pick of the litter in, in a lot of ways, um, which was, which was awesome and really set, set the tone for the rest of my career. It really did. I totally agree. Cause I know Pat, it's this idea of like learning from others that I love and respect so much about you. It's that you don't know something instead of just kind of admitting that you don't know it and struggling with it. You're like, I am going to figure this out. I'm going to learn. And that's kind of, I think how you became an expert in productivity is that you started with that curiosity at the very, very early stages of your career. And you just kept building on it and building on it and building on it. And that's why I'm so happy that you're here with us live answering our questions. And I have some questions from our members that I actually want to ask you. So the first one is about overwhelm. So when you are feeling overwhelmed, when the to-do list is so long, when you're kind of feel it's 9am in the morning, you're like, I got so much to do today. I'm going to be here till 9pm. What's the first thing to get out of that? For, to get yourself out of that, what should you do? Yeah, it's it's a really good question, and and I'll be I'll be honest with everyone on the call here. Uh, despite despite studying this stuff and practicing this stuff, it's not like I never get overwhelmed. I do, right? And so that that's a that's a normal feeling for anyone who's who's trying to do anything worth doing, right? You're doing stuff that's hard, and you probably exist in worlds that are complicated and busy, and emergencies happen. So the, the very first thing when I kind of recognize that the, the, the hamster's running pretty hard is I pause 
and I dig up my notebook and I make a list. And, and the reason, the reason I use my notebook is often what's stressing me out is IMs, phone calls, emails, my calendar, right? So all that goes away and I find kind of a quiet mental space and I dig up my notebook. I say, okay, what all really is on my list? right now, because one of the things that uh, I find is easy, and this, this happens for me, this happens for a lot of my, uh, my clients, my students, is the feeling of overwhelm is the problem. It's not necessarily that there's an overwhelming amount of actual stuff to do. It's, it's, your, it's your emotional response to it. And normally that's because you don't have a clear sense of what you actually have to do. By, by taking a moment, making your list, understanding really what's on your plate, that, that on its own can, can help a lot in terms of combating overwhelm. Once you I love have that, that you, I love, just want to interrupt for a second. I love yeah. that you just, that you said that it's not that, like, the, it may not be true that you have too much on your plate, but it's the feeling that is the problem. And so like that pause is like the recognition that you need to like hijack your brain. You need to pause. You need to stop that feeling because it's a feeling and it may not be true. But then the writing of the list, it helps you realize whether it's true or not. And it puts you back in control. So I love that. Thank you, Pat, for that one. I'm going to use welcome. that one. You're welcome. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's huge. It's huge because the, there's a difference between how you feel about a situation and the, the actual underlying situation. And, and one of the things I know about myself is that the feeling of overwhelm is more often tied to a lack of clarity on, on what all's on my plate, as opposed to knowing exactly what's on my plate and it's too full. Now, th that second problem happens too, it, it's, it's true. Um, but more often than not, it's, it's, it's the, first, uh, the first situation where I just don't actually know what all I have on my plate and I'm mm -hmm. stressed out about it. And then you can't even go to delegate. You can't even put stuff on pause. Like your, like no. your mentor said, like, no, not right now, but maybe next week. If you're in that feeling of overwhelm, you don't have the mental capacity to compartmentalize, prioritize. It's like the first thing, just get it out and recognize, is this true? If it is true, then you can take action and you're calm versus trying to take action when you're stressed out. I love that one. Okay. My next one is about interruptions. So when you're trying to get stuff done and there's always someone or something trying to get your attention, what can you do? Yeah, that, it's, it's, that, that's a good question. And I think, I think for those of us working from home and by the looks of things, we're all working from home right now, or most of us, <laughs> um, what, I, I guess the, 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 best, um, the best offense is a good defense, right? Or rather the best defense is a good offense. What I mean by that is, do the best you can to control your environment first um, to, to minimize the risk of disruptions, right? So uh, you, you guys can see a chunk of my office right now. The door is closed, right? And my, my family knows that when the door is closed, um, it, it's closed for a reason, right? And that is I'm having a conversation. There's an important meeting. I really need to, to sit, concentrate. So my, my daughter's six. And, and has a hard time with that, but, <laughs> but, but, but knows now I even, I, uh, there's a, there, there's a, a red sign that I put on the other side of the door, big block letters. that says, stop daddy's working right now, but I'll be out soon. Right. And she knows, right. Um, my wife also has a sign at her eye level. No, that's not, she, <laughs> she, she just knows, <laughs> um, you know, so, so setting those 
boundaries setting that setting a bit of a system is an important way to but what if you uh, can't like what if your job is really like a customer client facing job and you need your job is to like serve people answer the phone be there like for example on a construction site whenever there's a problem like someone you need to be available for those people like what if that's your job where you can't really have that hard boundary what are some things that you could do yeah. So uh, a couple things that I've done in the past is uh, first thing I do is, is challenge that notion, right? What will happen if a call waits five minutes? You know, will someone get hurt? Will the company go under? Probably not. Right. So, so one of the things that I like to do is if I'm in a mode where I, I do need to concentrate, um, if the phone rings, First of all, if, if I don't know who it is, if I don't recognize the number, that, that goes to voicemail, right? If I know who it is, it's, it's probably a, a customer or a client or, or a team member. Um, depending who it is, I can anticipate how big of an emergency it, it might be. And I could be selective about answering the phone there. But whenever I can, I will let the call go to voicemail. I'll check the voicemail right away, right? But that puts me in the driver's seat. That lets me decide how I'm going to invest my time, right? As opposed to letting the outside world dictate how my time gets spent, right? And that's and and that's the the trap we often fall into is that we confuse we confuse the urgent for the important, meaning this call is coming in. I have to deal with it right now. Well, what happened? What would happen if you didn't, right? That's an urgent situation, which may or may not actually be important. And at worst, someone might be inconvenienced. Nine times out of 10, that, that's, that's the worst that'll happen in a situation like that. So I, I guess the, the take-home message here is that you do have agency over your time. If you've made a commitment to someone that when they call, you pick up, yeah, you, you do that, right? But, but again, setting those expectations and, and drawing those boundaries um, is is very important. So this is this is the whole you know you got to dig the well before you're thirsty, right? Setting those expectations up front is is the key to making something like that work. Okay, um, I have another question on the urgent versus important. And this is from yeah. one of our members. Um, they are specifically interested in really what their focus should be on any given day, week, or month, and how to say no to those urgent but not important requests that deter you from achieving your big goals? Because that's a yeah, real that, thing, right? Like you have all these good intentions on Monday. You're like, I'm going to work on this. It's such a big, bolder project and it's going to move my career forward and it's going to move the business and contribute. And you have all these great, this great expectations that you're going to, for yourself to do it. But then like all the things get in the way and then it's Friday at 4.30 and you're just starting the big thing right then because everything else became top priority. So what do you do on that one? Yeah. In the, our community, the, the, we are really clear on our goals. Like we do get, we are very clear on our goals and what we want to get. Um, but really like it, all the things get in the way and how do we refocus? Yeah. Um, I, and I guess the, the, the first thing that's important to bear in mind is that some days, some days will go off the rails and that's okay. That's not the end of the world, right? You, you, perfection is not, is not the goal. Progress is, Right. So if you can nudge yourself closer and closer and closer to spending more and more time on what's important over what's urgent, uh, that's uh, then, then then great, right? One of the one of the strategies that works best 
for me, and I know, I know a lot of my, my students appreciate it as well, is beginning the day on what's actually important. And, and what that means is spending even a half hour or an hour on something that's important can, can really help you to build momentum. Meaning before you check email, before you, you open your, your instant messages, before you even turn on your phone, spend that hour, right? Almost, almost pretend like the day doesn't start till the hour later. Yeah. So Pat, you taught you this in the course. The yeah. You taught yeah. this up in the course and you called it the MIT. So what I actually did was I gave myself, and I only did 30 minutes. So I did 30 minutes and I called MIT is most important task. And I put every night I would, before I shut down my computer, I actually, because you told me to, I put a 15 minute calendar invite to myself at the end of the day, when I want to stop working, that is prepare the most important task for the for tomorrow. So put in my calendar, what's the most important thing I need to get done tomorrow. And I would say probably like three out of five days a week, I do follow that. And sometimes if I forget to do that 15 minute shutdown end of day ritual, then I don't actually do the calendar invite. And that's when my day gets off the rails. So yeah. I, that strategy, I have to say it does work, but it's not instant. So I've been, I think your course ended three weeks ago. And so I'm yep. still working on it. I'm still struggling. Sometimes I forget to implement, but whenever I go back to that most important task, start the day, right. And it also gives you that sense of accomplishment that you, it's not just the checking off the to-do list. Like, Oh, I paid an invoice today, or I checked my email. It's like, no, I did this really important thing. And it makes you feel really empowering, empowered for the rest of the day. So I yeah, love that absolutely. one. Absolutely. And, and, and that check-in at the end of the day, it gives you the opportunity to do two things. One, decide what an important task is. You know, you get to decide with hindsight on what all has happened that day. It also helps you to prepare, right? So one, one trick that I, I used to use when I, I was uh, training for a, for a road race is I would always set my running shoes and running gear right next to the bed the night before. So then when I hit the floor, my feet were almost already in my shoes. There was no excuse. I didn't have to think it was autopilot. You can do the same thing with your work. You can open the file that you're going to work on or, or open the page in your notebook. What all you have to do is show up and you're ready to do something important that it's, it's powerful. It really is. Oh, I love that preparedness. That is so good. That's so good. I love that one. Okay. One more question. Um, I want to talk about squirrel syndrome and this is something that I suffer with sometimes. And to be honest, sometimes it's social media. I will social, I will, you know, need a little break and I will squirrel in social media and then I'll go back to my work and I'll be like, Ooh, I'm just going to check LinkedIn or Instagram one more time. And there's no reason why I want to. It's just that my brain has gone into squirrel mode. And once I start, it just goes out of control. So what can we do? I want to, I have two questions. What can we do to prevent ourselves from doing that? Cause I know it's like, you're supposed to say, don't go on social media before this time, set a timer. There's all those things, but like, it's such a powerful, I know there's science behind the addiction of social media. Like it actually is really hard to, once you've gone down that road to stop it with just your own personal motivation. So how do we stop ourselves from even starting? And then two, once we've started down that school down in squirrel mode, how do we stop it and get ourselves back on track? So well, one thing, and, and you're right, there are armies of jerk engineers like me trying to figure out ways to get you in squirrel mode, right? Like the, there, are, there are a lot of people paid a lot of money to, to facilitate that. So it's not your fault. All right. <laughs> it shouldn't beat yourself up too much. 
one one powerful strategy that I've I've come up with. It's simple, but the uh, as soon as you recognize that that interest in picking up the phone and checking LinkedIn, uh, I like to keep I like to keep a, a pad of paper next to me at my desk. And if there's a specific thing I want to look up or a specific question I want to ask, I get it out of my system by capturing that somewhere. Say, okay, I do want to look up, you know, what was Andrea's most recent webinar because it sounded really cool and I want to check the replay. If I have an outlet through this, this piece of paper on the side of my desk, that gives me permission to kind of get it out of my brain and onto paper and, and give me the confidence that, yeah, I will. I, I'm not going to forget to go check it. I don't need to do it right now, right? I know I'll do it. And pairing that with permission and, and even putting a block in your calendar to say, yeah, like I want to check social media each day. Give yourself permission to do that during a certain time. Then it's guilt-free, right? Then you know it's not going to overrun your life. Um, and then you, you can run through your list. Right. So having a little bit of a system that gives uh, it's almost like it's a, it's an escape valve. Right. It's you get to release the pressure of, of that temptation because, you know, you know, you're going to get to it. And then there's the satisfaction of knowing that you're in control. Right. You get to choose how your time is being spent. Um, so that's and, and, and that works for all sorts of different distractions. I like to pair that. Well, one of the things we talked about, Andrea, in the course is the Pomodoro principle, right? Uh, the, or the Pomodoro technique rather, setting a timer um, when you decide you wanna work on something and really commit to working on that one thing for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever it is. To me, that, that's, that's incredibly powerful when you pair that with that escape valve, right? You know you're gonna get distracted. You know you're gonna think about things. You know you're gonna get lured into Reddit or LinkedIn or, or whatever prepare for that, anticipate that. And, and, and that'll, that'll take you a long way. So, so I think, I think that's that the first part of your minutes, question. That 20 minutes. Yeah. Again, the second one, how do we stop it when we're in it? Cause I just find it just goes worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things, um, that I like to do, um, is, is when I pick up my phone and, and most people's phones have this, um, um, take note of the time, right. That's as soon as you, as soon as you pick up the phone, that the time is on the screen, right? Just take note, and even even checking in with what time it is right then and there is kind of, is kind of this this internal reminder that I'm about to spend time, <laughs> right? I'm about to invest a non-renewable resource into something, so so that kind of heads things off for the pass right away. Right. That's such you, a great you, trigger. I'm about to invest a non-renewable resource. And it gives you that decision, that permission to be like, yes, actually I do. Because sometimes maybe you do need to scroll Instagram absolutely. for half an hour and, and that's okay. But maybe you don't and you get to decide. I love that trigger. It's so simple, but so good. Look at the time and then decide, do I want to use this time right now for this? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the truth is, yeah, sometimes the answer is like, absolutely. I've earned 15 minutes on Instagram. But when you have that anchor uh, up front, um, then every time, every time you notice the time from then on, it's like, eh, yeah, it really has been 15 minutes. I mean, the other thing you do is set yourself a little timer, right? You timers on your phone. Um, and, and then, and then that forces that next decision, 
is like, do I God, really it's at want that decision. to it's like, do I need to make, and you can decide, Oh, I'm going to set the timer again. It's okay. But you're kind of taking control back versus leaving it up to the unlimited yeah. scroll that sucks as it sucks exactly. us the, in and steals all our time. Okay. The, I love that. I love it. Okay. So Pat, I wanted, these are some really great principles that you taught. And I know the course was incredible. I learned a lot, so many things. I'm still implementing some of them, but I want to know what people can do within 24 hours to get started, because I don't like to leave people with a list of 10 things to do. I want to give them one thing that's really easy to just go in that will just get that momentum started. So what is that one thing that people can do if they want to be more productive? Yeah, the, the number one thing, the number one thing is to get clear on your goals, which, which, which seems kind of funny, right? Because that's not what you expect uh, uh, a productivity person to say. But there's a really good quote from a, a management consultant. His name is Peter Drucker, right? Uh, the, the, the father of modern management theory. And, and he said, there's nothing quite so useless as doing efficiently that which shouldn't be done in the first place right? So many of us spend all sorts of time slaving over things that like, it's not your job. It's not supporting your goals. It's not supporting your team's goals. You're just kind of doing it because you go through the motions. I've always done it that way, right? There's, there's, there's nothing quite so useless as spending your time and energy, right? Non-renewable resource, mm -hmm. your time and stuff that just isn't going to move you or your team forward, right? So getting clear on those goals, taking time and it doesn't have to be anything fancy. And, and Andrea, you and I could nerd out about goals for a week, I'm sure. And we talked about goal setting in the course. It doesn't need to take forever. Just capture it. What are you here to do? What are you trying to achieve? Um, and then and then comparing that to the work you're doing. You'd be I love it. What are you trying to achieve? That question. Just answer that yeah. question within 24 hours. What are you trying to achieve? Thank you, Pat. Yeah, that was amazing. Absolutely. So how do people find out more about you? Oh yeah, the, the best place is uh, is to check out my website, engineeringandleadership.com. And from there, you'll find links to the podcast and blog posts, my LinkedIn profile, um, everything you need is there. So at engineeringandleadership.com. Okay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Pat. This was so helpful. And I know I'm gonna listen to this again and again when I kind of need that boost to get more productive and kind of up-level my productivity and remember that it is a journey. It's not instant. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Hi there. Before you go, I was wondering if I could ask you a huge favor. Can you click on iTunes and give the podcast a five-star review and also a comment? This would mean the world to me. It also helps us to spread the word about the podcast and attract higher profile guests. We want to be able to deliver thought leadership around diversity and inclusion every single week and having more reviews on iTunes will help us to do that and help us to keep the show going for free for you. So please head to iTunes right now, give us a five-star review and leave us a comment. Thanks so much. 